Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy. And I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We are recording this show on December 21st, 2015. We're wrapping up a pretty interesting year and very important year and looking ahead to 2016. Ronaldo, there's been a flurry of activity here in December as the U.S. Congress has gotten back to work by passing a number of important spending bills, including a $1.8 trillion package. The Federal Reserve finally raised short-term interest rates up from zero. And we've seen a turning point in the global effort to address climate change, with 195 countries signing on to a new agreement in Paris to try and limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Finally, the city of San Diego, California's most po- second most populous city, just set a legally binding goal of reaching 100% renewable energy by 2035, becoming the first U.S. city to put a goal like this into law. So, Ronaldo, where do you want to start? How about with the Fed? I think we should start with the Fed. I think we could start with um, that new bill. I mean, let's let's just let's just rock, go with the Fed because uh, I think that the, the general consensus, and I heard. Uh, the uh, chancellor of the exchequer just uh, this morning uh, basically giving Janet Yellen tremendous uh, uh, accolades for the way she laid this uh, quarter point rise in place. Now, you got to remember, this has been seven years we've had virtually zero interest rates. So to come off of that is sort of like um, a patient coming off of a, of a very severe um, drug that stabilized their life. And um, to, to, to come off of that and skillfully do it where the markets actually embraced the markets went up the day they did it, which they should. Because what Yellen said is this will help create more room in the economy for future monetary policy, which it will. It will normal, begin the process of normalizing rates. You can't keep rates at zero because if you do, you'll create a, uh, an economy that actually continues to go sideways. Uh, for example, it penalizes savers. Well, one of the largest components of the American demographic today are baby boomers, like myself, who want to save but can't save because there's no money in saving. So now this can, this can start to readdress the balance of debt versus savings, which I think is great. I think it will also begin the process, by no means go very far down the path, but just begin the process of stabilizing and normalizing Wall Street debt It'll go towards, uh, I think, more normal banking relationships. Uh, so there's all kinds of things that I think will be a benefit because we've been seven years sort of in the wilderness. And, and, and I want to congratulate the Fed. They did a brilliant job of getting us there from, 20, uh, from 2008, like very last month of 2007, to the present day. Uh, first Bernanke responding to the crisis and now Yellen in the post-crisis environment, you know, bringing us back to a more stable, long-term, sustainable 
um, monetary policy. So I'm, I'm very pleased. I think everybody is. I don't know anybody who isn't pleased. And what she said is she'll raise, the, she'll raise it a quarter a point at most once a quarter, and that would be 1% higher next year by the end of next this year coming up 2016, which is not a lot. 1% is still at an you know, astronomically low rate. But I'm, I'm really pleased that the way they did it, I'm pleased at how it's being re- reacted to. Uh, and I think, generally speaking, everybody should be grateful, take a big sigh of relief. This has happened successfully. And, and it happened even without a real sign that inflation is going up. Uh, it seemed like this was, you know, just to start getting back to some sort of normalcy, not the normal uh, way the Fed operates by raising interest rates to head off inflation. Is that what you're seeing, or do you see? Do you expect inflation well, to rise next year? No, I do, uh, and I think they do too. I think that, that's that's why this was so important. See, they have to get in front of it. What, what you don't want is you don't want runaway inflation. You don't want inflation to spike. What you want is for a small amount of inflation. And, and for our listeners, if they are interested in knowing why you want a small amount of inflation. Let me just um, uh, explain that a little bit of inflation actually is healthy. A lot of inflation is deadly. It's like a little bit of price stabilization is healthy. 22 years of it going down, as in Japan, is very unhealthy. So uh, what you want to have, is, and particularly given the way that the debt society has come about, a couple of points of inflation will give us a little breathing room as we start to pay down our debts and reorient towards a saving society. We, we have to become a saving society again. Now, the good news is that there is no problem with Social Security, and there won't be one. There's no problem with the, with, with the economy in 2016. What the, what the Fed correctly said, and uh, Janet in her statement to the Congress said, look, um, we're, we're going to monitor this thing, and if, if, and if, if the economy doesn't continue to rise, we will back off, or we won't continue the increases. But it is entirely likely, my prognostication for 2014, and you notice, by the way, they've just re-released uh, about a week and a half ago, they recalculated the numbers for this far in the year, and they've raised their estimate of what the GDP grew in America this year. Uh, they're now saying it grew by 25 to 3% by the end of the year, which is exactly where we called it a year ago. We said it will be somewhere between 25 3.5%, I thought closer to 3 It'll be, it'll, it'll end up 3 for 2015, I think. It's going to unleash a very good Christmas, and retail needs that. Of course, it'll be better for the online people than the brick-and-mortar people, but it will be a very good year nonetheless in terms of total sales. Uh, I think the third point I want to make in the last one is that when you, you, you see the possibility of the economy beginning to heat up, which now we're at because we're only we're, you know, 10% unemployment down to 5%, uh, you still have some structural issues with you know, underemployment, but that's getting handled. You've got the minimum wage going up in a number of states and cities. That's going to put some upward pressure on wages. You've got – so, so the, the lower unemployment rate pushes up wages. The uh, $15 minimum wage pushes up wages. And what's going to happen is the economy tightens. That will further push up wages, which I think is great because the middle class is going to start to regain some of what it's lost since the 70s, and, and particularly what it lost since the end of the Clinton administration. So I'm, I'm really excited about the average American beginning to get a little bit more of the piece of the pie. And, of course, the top 1% or 2% are going to do better than ever because the economy in 2016 is going to continue to grow. My guess is that the economy, you know, absent any massive craziness that happens on some international scene, uh, the economy is going to grow in the U.S. by over 3% in 2016, I believe. And, and when we get to the bill that just passed Congress, you'll see why I'm confident of that number. Well, let's move to that now, Ronaldo. I think that the the 
Congress actually functioning was almost shocking. You know, it, it went and the, the numbers were reported, but I was just surprised to see how easily that body was actually to get on, back on track after years of crisis, frankly, and, and stagnation. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a classic spending bill where a whole bunch of people got things they wanted and no one was that happy with it, but it got passed and it's just kind of the way American democracy used to work. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the $1.8 trillion, including a bunch of new spending. Uh, yeah. what, what was your reaction? Well, first of all, like any omnibus bill, you get the Christmas tree effect, right? You get like, uh, so the Coast Guard said, please don't make us buy another a Coast Guard cutter. Eight is all we need. We don't need a ninth one. The budget says you got to have a ninth one because they want to give it to um, a southern port city, which will go unnamed. Um, you get, um, you know, uh, what's her name up in Maine? Snow up in Maine gets her bill in there for like another million buck, another billion dollars into a program, a military program, which the military itself doesn't want. You know, things like this happen along the way. I think the big trade-off in this bill. Uh, well, first of all, let me comment on why I like the bill. I like the bill because it's an equal balance of uh, increasing military and increasing domestic spending. I would like to see the balance be 75% increased domestic and 25% military because we get a bigger bang for our buck when we put it into the domestic sector. However, given how long it has been since we started dealing with infrastructure repair in this country, with the bridges, the roads, the terrible transportation, the terrible trains, you know, that, that we're starting to look at that and put money into it will give an additional lift to the economy. Remember, we only did... $750 billion in stimulus to get out of the recession. So this bill, which is going to put about $900 billion into the domestic economy over the next couple of years, uh, is going to be bigger than the stimulus bill. And we're in a better place to take advantage of it today. So I'm really excited by the fact that the economy is definitely, in my, hunt, in my belief, is going to be over 3% for 2016. Uh, I think you're going to see that the uh, that the economy won't be a massive issue in the election as it's not now. I think actually uh, overseas could be less of an issue because, as you know, uh, the coalition has now pushed uh, ISIL back. They've retaken a key town in northern Iraq, and they just warded off the biggest assault ever in Mosul, outside of Mosul. So I think that there are a combination of factors which could get the American economy going and could get Americans happier with their lot in life. And I'm hoping that's the case because the amount of negativity in this campaign season uh, is quite unfortunate. And I, I, I respect, you know, uh, just this morning, Lindsey Graham dropped out of the race. And, and I'm not a big Lindsey Graham fan. I'm candidly not. But, I, you know, i got to tell you, I like the fact that he almost cried when he said on the debate that um, we have to be aware that our Muslims, brothers and sisters, are serving under uniform in Iraq and in Afghanistan. As other people have observed, it is the Muslim community in America that will keep us safe because they will turn in the bad guys before they do things. They're the only ones who can. And, and we want them to be vigilant in their mosques, looking for the troublemakers. So the, the idea that, that Trump has put out there now virtually the entire Republican field has echoed – of singling out the Muslims and uh, treating them as second or third class citizens is so crazy. It's just so insane because that's how we're going to protect ourselves in the homeland. And it's also so un-American. It's so contrary to everything we stand on. And remember, I have a bias. I am an immigrant. 
I was not born in America. So That's unlike right. most of the people listening, I can appreciate what it's like to get here and work hard and want to have the dream come true for me and for my family. And for every immigrant like me, and of course I'm a legal immigrant, which makes it different, but for every immigrant like me that came to this country, whether it was Italian like our family or Irish or uh, before that uh, Russian Jews, uh, before that uh, people fleeing Germany in World War II. I mean, we've had this wave of immigration that's built America to be this interesting polyglot culture that just keeps working because the best and the brightest want to come here. And we now need to embrace our Muslim brothers and sisters. I, 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 I really want to do something, and I'm grateful for those people who are stepping out. Um, like I, I saw Mandy Potemkin, the guy who stands at Stars at Homeland, saying that he's basically adopted a Muslim family for the holidays. I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to be traveling starting soon, so I can't do that. But when I get back in town, I am definitely going to do something to extend myself to one or more Muslims who are looking for a way to get their feet on the ground and to build their dream in America alongside of mine. Yeah, that's great, Ronaldo. And I, you know, I think that it's a really interesting uh, uh, back and forth going on. And, and I think that in a way, the, you know, we started talking here about the spending bill. The, the the way this, the way the reason this is so important is it shows the priorities and the the, the trajectory of the United States and and the crisis we were we have been watching unfold, uh, where the Congress has been stuck and not been able to pass anything. Has been has been a metaphor in a lot of ways for for the economy and for our culture, uh, and you know I don't mean to put too much on this, but the fact that they're able to allocate this kind of money without too much rigmarole is is encouraging that maybe this this government the federal government will start to function again, uh, which would be very nice for all the reasons you stated and hopefully a, a way of them actually leading again in society towards uh, you know taking better care of each other on the personal level and, and our people welcoming people to our country. Um, yeah, and so let me, tell you, let me tie those yeah. thoughts together now, okay? Because on the one hand, you can look at this budget bill passing, as I, as I was talking about earlier, and say, gee, it's, it's the beginning of the end of austerity, in effect, right? I mean, yeah. finally, we're, we're going out of the austerity mode. Number two, I was trying to contrast, because you made the comment about how the Congress functioned this time. And, and you know, for the listeners who don't know this, the way they did this is Paul Ryan, when he took the speakership, what he did is he forced the Tea Party caucus to agree to sign up behind him so that he could move legislation because he convinced them that they would never capture the White House if they didn't, which is true. I think also what's happened is that Paul Ryan has gotten new power in the party because so the, the official Republican Party is aghast at Donald Trump. And frankly, they're almost equally or more aghast at, at uh, Cruz, Ted Cruz. So what happened was Paul Ryan said to the, the Tea Party guys, look, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a tax bill. You like to cut taxes. We'll pass that as Republicans. And then the spending bill, it's okay if you don't vote for it. I'm going to do that with the Democrats. That's exactly what happened. The Democrats put through the spending bill. The Republicans in the House, this is, put through the, the, uh, the tax decrease. The deal had been cut ahead of time with Mitch McConnell in the Senate, and it went through the Senate like a hot knife through butter. Even people like uh, Reed, Harry Reid, who, by the way, had a terrible conflict of interest. If you didn't notice it in the footnote to that bill, uh, a whole bunch of billionaire Vegas casino owners got a huge tax break 
huge tax mm. break for an industry that really doesn't deserve one. Uh, right. And Reed, you know, was unabashed about, well, he had to take care of his constituents. So, there, as I say, it was a Christmas tree bill, but that's okay. It's It's got equal parts domestic spending and um, military. Hopefully we'll learn how to spend the military money better. That was my comment about uh, ISIL is – it, 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 we're, we're handling the, the ISIL situation better. I think increasingly now that there's the United Nations resolution that came out on Thursday, where everybody, including Russia, agrees that we have to have a joint policy on Syria. That's a very big step in the right direction. So when you look at all of these things, I'm, I'm quite excited that austerity is ending. I'm excited that Paul Ryan sees that his path to the White House for him, Paul Ryan, in a few years, lies down the path of functioning government. He'll mm-hmm. never be a serious candidate if he can't function. And he and he took the steps of making sure he had the room to maneuver before he took the office. He's a much stronger player and, frankly, much brighter than Boehner, despite the nice things the president says about Boehner. He was a pretty lightweight. And he got and he got beat up by his own caucus because he couldn't really manage it, didn't have the courage to manage it effectively, would never put the bill through that Ryan did. Although I do respect the fact that when he left the office, Boehner made sure to pass a two-year budget ceiling bill so that um, – that wouldn't happen for the rest of the time that Obama's in office. So when I look at all of these different issues together, the politics, the end of austerity, the fact that we can embrace our, our Muslim, Muslim brothers and sisters in 2016, we have to, even though the, the rhetoric from the right is outrageous. I think as this all comes together, 2016 is going to be a good year, Matt, and, and, yeah. and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, let's drill down. I agree. And let's drill down on one piece uh, of the compromise between the parties. There was a renewable energy tax credit that was slated to uh, decrease significantly at the end of 2016. And they were able to to strike an agreement to extend that for three years uh, and then have it tapered down. Uh, In exchange, the Democrats traded a, a lifting of the oil export ban which had been in place for I don't I think it was 40 years. Uh, what, what's your comment on that? There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uproar in the environmental community um, about this oil export ban uh, coming to an end. What do you think? Well, first of all, I got to tell you, and I, I've got environmental credentials that as good as anybody on the planet, so I'm not the least bit worried saying this. This is a great trade for the environment. I just think I can't believe the Democrats got this one. Look, first of all, lifting the ban is going to make a few refiners in Texas a whole heck of a lot of money. And it will mean that more trains will keep running from Keystone down to Texas to get it refined. However, the Canadians are going to open their, their own pipeline in 2016 to, the, to, to Vancouver, uh, 2017 the latest. They've already got the railroads running there. So they're going to feed oil to China. They're not going to do any more tar sands projects. They, they, they haven't started one in, in about seven, eight months, and they're not going to start them now. And some of the existing ones eventually will go out of business because the price of oil at $38 a barrel today doesn't support more tar sands. I don't think you'll see tar sands below $65, $70 a barrel, and we're not going to get there. And even fracking is not economic at $38 a barrel. So allowing them to export oil to make money for the oil companies is like giving them a bone because they're so rich and powerful. But it doesn't affect the total consumption of oil on the planet, and it doesn't doesn't affect the total amount of oil that will be burned on the planet. Now, take the flip side. Getting a three-year extension to the wind credit and the, and the solar credit is huge because we are so close now to tipping the scale where wind and solar are, are certainly more affordable and certainly better for the planet than oil. 
you got the, the Paris Accord, which I'm going to come back to, which is going to continue to put pressure in the renewable energy direction. And uh, what I see is the tax credits for the next three years will pop solar and wind on a continuing upward trajectory, thereby reducing demand for oil, thereby keeping the price of oil down around $38 a barrel or less. It, you know, I, I'd say the range for oil is going to be between $25 and $40, for the, certainly for all of next year, and they'll be lucky to get it back to 40 they got a worse chance of going to 25. So I'm really, I think it's a net plus, plus, plus for the environment. No more oil is going to be consumed. A few oil companies get to make a few more bucks, but not because they're burning more, because we're letting them make money in the global oil market, in return for which we're getting these incredible credits in wind and incredible credits in solar. And by the way, a footnote to that credit, they left out by accident, just before the bill was finalized, they left out new alternatives such as the uh, as you know I'm a big fan of geothermal wasn't in the bill tidal is not in the bill uh, there are several things that are not in the bill uh, which according to my sources Ryan has agreed with Pelosi that that was an oversight because all renewables, renewables were supposed to be covered and that they're going to correct that with the next significant spending bill that goes through so that would be an even bigger you know, with ice cream on the or frosting on the cake, right? I mean, this right. is even bigger. So I, I don't see any downside. I see nothing but upside, and I'm really ecstatic. And as you know, Matt, here in Santa Barbara, where we're less than 10% solar, we need a couple, three more years to get the solar on the roof to get Santa Barbara to be independent of fossil fuels. So for us, this is going to be particularly attractive, this tax credit. I'm really excited. And last point. When we succeed, and we will by 2017, mark my words, when we succeed in getting Diablo Canyon, the, new, the last nuclear power plant in California, closed, wind will pay a significant component of the energy that we create as a backup to that nuclear power plant. So these credits are incredibly important because I want to bring that wind online in 2017 and 2018, and these credits will cover that which is great news for California and great news for the planet. Excellent. So let's talk briefly. I just want to, you know, I, I'm really interested in this question because it seems like there were, there's been an environmental strategy and it makes a lot of sense with the Paris Accords to leave carbon in the ground as much as possible. Um, this oil export ban lifting, it sounds like from the from the way... You know, you hear it is that this will encourage more drilling, no, more pumping no, no. in in the U.S. No. no, no, it doesn't. See, that's the whole point. That's why I think it's a, I think the Republicans and the oil companies are sleeping at the switch on this. No, because it does nothing to stimulate demand. Now, see, all it does is it gives them the ability to sell what they've already got offshore. They can do. They're doing that now. Doesn't make any sense at all. No, I think what they're going to try and do, if you want to know the truth, is they're going to try and raise the price of gas at the pump. I mean, that's what this, 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 this whole gambit is to try and get the price to the pump higher by causing U.S. Um, oil to be shipped rather than consumed. But, the, but, the, but we aren't going to be fracking anymore in California or anywhere else because at, 40, at $38 a barrel, it's uneconomic. You're not going to see any deep wells. I mean, you, I think I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, uh, the, one of the largest oil companies in the world, um, Stott Oil, has, has abandoned all their uh, Arctic leases forever. They think it'll never be drilled. No, no, I, no more tar sands going to be brought online. So there's no new oil being brought up out of the ground because of this. 
What this is, this is a huge boon to the oil refiners to be able to make a bunch of money on the amount of oil they're pumping today. And it's a way to give them a chance to raise the price at the pump in America. Now, here's the fun part. If they raise the price at the pump in America, that'll just push America faster into uh, alternative vehicles, right? Green vehicles. Yep. Right yep. now, at its all-time low price, what's happening is trucks are coming back, for God's sakes. Well, I don't. I don't think it's going to work. I, I I think that the upside price on a on a right now there's places in Georgia, literally, Matt, where you can buy a gallon of gas for less than two dollars, literally. Okay, quite a few places in the southeast where it's in fact, all over the southeast for less than two fifty, and here in California, the most expensive state, well, one of them along with Hawaii, we're at um, I think at a good station here, we're at the two fifty eight a gallon. I mean, it's unheard of. So. Can they push it back to three bucks? Maybe, but that'll take some doing. And remember, while they're trying to push that price back up, more and more of us will be driving fuel cell cars from hydrogen. More and more of us will be driving electric cars. So I think it's um, I think they um, it's a very bad trade for the Republicans to have made. I know why the oil company wants it; they they make more profits. But it does not increase the amount of oil coming up out of the ground. That's what's important, and therefore. It does, since it does increase the amount of windmills and photovoltaic arrays and doesn't increase the amount of oil pumped, I can say this is a pure environmental win from my point of view. Excellent. And I know there aren't many environmentalists that say that. By the way, can we segue to, uh, to, to, to Paris for a minute? Sure. Let's go to Paris. Yeah, well, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned San Diego. And, and when I first read that story the day after it happened, I read it in the New York Times, Matt. Actually, I, I was turned on to it by the Optimist Daily, to tell you the truth, because it showed up there, and I clicked, and sure enough, it brought me to the New York Times. And why is that significant? San Diego is the largest major city in America to declare that they will be 100% renewable energy. And is the date, is it 2020 or 2025? Uh, 2020, like oh, sorry, 2035, so 20 years. 20 years. But it, so, so that target... 2035 is is a reflection of what and by the way they'll beat that target in my humble opinion uh we can talk about why but they will in 2035 what they're saying is we saw what happened in paris and we know the inevitable arc of history now bends towards renewables now why is that so critical I have, as you know, we had our attorney, Larry Chastin, who does our uh, governmental affairs work for the academy over at Paris. Uh, one of our uh, longtime fellows, Elizabeth Satoris, was in Paris. I had a very long chat with Mindy Luber, the CEO of Ceres, who was in Paris. I got the same report from all of them, which was they were hiring a kite. And the reason is they felt that when the moral suasion that took hold in that in that set of talks, was so powerful that for the first time that anybody can recall, 195 member countries all said yes. That's a shift in consciousness. That's not just a shift in policy. And when you have a consciousness shift that's, in effect, universal, it means that in the thousand little ways that even you and I can't imagine today, the inexorable arc of history leads to renewables, San Diego picked up on that and decided they'd get in front of the parade and declare it sooner than anybody else. Frankly, they'll be there long before 2035 if they play their cards right. There's no reason not to. And I think here in California, uh, I'm, you know, I'm very hopeful that the people of the state will allow us to get them to a completely green state. 
within 10 years after they start. They haven't started yet, but I'm hopeful that 2016 or the latest 2017 will be the beginning of our converting the entire state of California to 100% green energy. And once we start, as long as the people of the state are for it, which they will because it's going to make them a lot of money, it's going to be very powerful, uh, I think uh, you're going to see some great opportunities, both in terms of the economy, in terms of energy savings, and in terms of greenhouse gas reductions. So one thing I want to point out, too, about San Diego is that the mayor, Kevin Faulkner, or Faulkner, I'm not sure exactly how he pronounces it, said that, you know, it was really important that he is actually a Republican, and the city council is controlled by Democrats, but there are Republicans on the council, and they got a unanimous vote in the city council for this. Um, And he, he, Faulkner sold the plan to conservatives uh, based on the uh, economic savings of renewable energy and the job creation potential of renewable energy. And, And it just shows that, you know, at the academy, we've been working on this very closely in Santa Barbara to make the case that this is actually not a partisan issue at all. This is a smart policy issue, and this is the uh, the next coming economic paradigm of renewable energy. And then everyone who can see that um, and, and is willing to lead on that is going to be proven right. So I just wanted to point out that this is a bipartisan effort in San Diego, uh, this, the the state's second largest city, and is is really important given that this is a city that doesn't have a bunch of natural, you know, uh, hydropower or something like that, or, or, or dams that they built a long time ago. This is going to be a big transition uh, for the city of San Diego, and it's very inspiring. Oh, yeah. And let's just continue on that theme for a second. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the the reality for San Diego is that it has a interesting prototype in microgrids, as you know, UCSD. So they converted to a microgrid uh, almost two years ago now. So there's a four or five block area. And that microgrid runs at a cost that's $8 million a year less for the University of San Diego, UCSD, University of California, San Diego. They spend $8 million less per year for electricity because of the microgrid. And that microgrid currently is already um, 25% renewable on site, and because they get some of their power through um, through uh, through San Diego Gas and Electric, which also has some uh, renewable sources, my guess is that that whole thing is probably closer to 35, 40% renewable right now, and could easily go to 100% renewable. And I'm certainly hopeful that UC Santa Barbara elects to do 100% renewable as opposed to a, a hybrid. Now. What what's the significance of that? Well, the significance is, as microgrids are deployed in California, and we demonstrate that the technology makes economic sense, what happens is that you can bring large quantities of green energy into a particular locale because you don't have to put it down transmission lines. You don't need large power plants to balance it, quote-unquote, for when the sun doesn't shine or the or the wind doesn't blow, because that's all it gets all balanced out within the grid itself, microgrid itself. And I and uh, by the way, you know, um, Matt, what's the how do people find that 28 minute film? Is that up on our website yet? That we did what was our kind of our UN report on our, our year end report on microgrid? Is that up yet? The uh, the p- people can come check out the the situation, uh, the blackout to bright future, blackout to bright future film at sbr3.org. That's sbr3.org. 
uh, it's our SBR3 project at the World Business Academy website. And the the longer version of it will be up uh, shortly, Ronaldo. Okay, so my point of the, is this. We, the longer version of that, and I just got back this morning the first tape copy of my uh, my annual lecture at UCSB, which, as you know, is a comprehensive overview of microgrids and green energy, et cetera. If anybody would like to get a, a, a link to that for free, um, please um, just send a note to the Academy, and we'll make sure that when it's posted in another I imagine it'll be posted within a week. So over the holidays, let us know, and we'll, we'll you'll get that class, which is a 50-minute college class for credit on the overview of green energy microgrids and the like. Uh, but but I want to go back now to the reason I was making this point is because of what you said about the trade-offs. I am appalled that people still say, can we afford to do the right thing for the environment? Because where's that money going to come from? I am appalled by that. Because the truth is, all every shred of evidence we have at the level of local economies, at the level of entire countries like Germany, when you switch to renewables, you create enormous new wealth so that not only is the switch free, it actually makes you money. In other words, the faster you switch to renewables, the faster you lift your economy, and the more money you make, literally, it's, it's, it, you save money as you're doing it. Now, you have to put some capital on the front end to make that shift. But even that could be obtained if we were willing to crack down on the egregious subsidies that we provide to the fossil fuel industry and to the makers of fossil fuel equipment. Let me give you an example. Here in California, when you try to argue that wind or solar are preferable on a cents per kilowatt hour basis, they compare that over a 25-year horizon with what a natural gas-fired peaker plant would cost. But they know, and we talk about it privately behind closed doors, those peaker plants will all be turned off in 10 years, not 25, at the most 10 years, because of greenhouse gas. So when you take and you amortize that big, giant plant over 10 years instead of 25, it turns out that today, absolutely today, December 21, 2015, it is cheaper, hear me clearly, cheaper to buy renewable energy than to buy natural gas-fired plants and burn natural gas, even at the low prices of natural gas today. So folks listening to this, please don't be fooled. It's not a choice of can we have a clean environment or can we have a good economy. It turns out that the economy gets better the greener the, the, the source of energy. Isn't that great? Isn't that what you want to be true? Well, guess what? It is true. And if you want to know more about it, keep listening to this program, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, and I, I would say also, Ronaldo, one of the things that a lot of CFOs at these major corporations that are shifting to renewable energy, uh, you know, essentially buying it through the grid, um, one thing they love about it is that they have a stable price going forward. It doesn't depend on how much natural gas is available or the swings in the in the oil market and energy markets. They can lock in their uh, price for electricity for 20 years. Right. And, 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 and a point I've made on the show before I want to reiterate to people listening today. When you have a free energy source, i.e. wind or solar or geothermal or the like, when you have a free source of energy, the only cost to turn it into electricity is the cost of the widget, the machine, that converts that energy into electricity. And therefore... 
the more you use, the more machines you build, the cheaper the machines and the cheaper the cost of the electricity. This is one of those really virtuous cycles. So if you have a scarce commodity, meaning something that the more you use, the more expensive it should get, i.e. you can't burn a barrel of oil twice, you can't burn a brick of coal twice, you can't burn natural gas twice. Once you burn it, you've got to go find some more. Now, when you do that, that scarcity is what has driven the price up on natural gas and oil and coal all these years since we started using coal back in the pre-days of the early Industrial Revolution in England. Why all of a sudden, after a couple of hundred years, are we finally breaking out of the cycle where fossil fuels cost us more every year, certainly every decade? Very simple reason, Matt, because now we have an alternative. It's called renewable energy. And with that alternative, we are there able to supplant our, 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 our demand for carbon fuels. As we reduce our demand for carbon fuels, which is what's been happening this year, those people with carbon in the ground, like Saudi Arabia, Russia, and other countries, pump like crazy because they're going broke. Uh, example, Saudi Arabia, when oil's below 75 to $100 a barrel, they're not making enough profit to keep their entire uh, socialist state that's a monarchy up and running. So Saudi Arabia has now been to the bond market to borrow twice in the last three months. They've taken over $100 billion out of their sovereign wealth fund for the first time in, in memory because they're having to use their savings to pay for their socialist state with all the free education and, and medicine and everything else because their only resource was fossil fuel. My reason for sharing that with everyone is we are now in this new era, and we came through the worst of it in 2008 through 2015. And we've crossed over now to where the world, 195 nations, understands that it's not survivable to continue burning fossil fuel. And we now have an economic way to get off of fossil fuel, and the faster we do, the more money it makes us and the richer we all get. Last point, and I'm done. I can't wait till we get so good at these technologies, which we're getting very quickly, that we can export them to all the villages in India and Africa and Asia that need to be able to have up and down links to satellites so they can have education in their village, so they can have communications in their village, so they can join the modern world. Right now we have a planet where at least 3 billion people, half the population, doesn't have a fair shot at an upward mobility at least three billion, maybe four. So that's going to all shift, which is really great. Well, when you look at all those factors together and the amount of wealth that the switch to renewable energies will, will create, and, and, and let me just capture that in dollars for people. Today, the gross domestic product of the entire planet, so every everything that we buy and sell in a year, every piece of merchandise, every lawyer's bill, every accounting bill, every professional bill, all goods and services combined is about $65 trillion a year. As we make our transition over to renewable energy and we reduce, say, down to 20% or less fossil fuel consumption of our total consumption of energy, which I think is imminently doable, we'll end up at an economy at that point doing $350 trillion a year. 65 today, 350 trillion then. Wouldn't you want to get there as fast as you could? 
It, can you imagine what you get with an economy that's five times larger than the one we have today and it's sustainable? Can you imagine why anybody at that point anywhere in the world wouldn't have free college education, free medical, up-to-date transportation systems, education systems? I mean, it, it, it's, it's everything waiting at our doorstep, and we've been so patient for so long believing we couldn't have it all. And the truth is we can. And what I really hope for in the United States of America particularly is I want to see it happen that in the United States, within my lifetime, a family of four, a middle-class family of four, can afford to have only one breadwinner and send all their kids to college and have free medical care. That's possible in my lifetime, and that's what I'm not going to, I'm not going to rest until we get there because that's what awaits us on the other side of the renewable energy conversion. Excellent. And, Ronaldo, I want to say that the, the climate deal and the, the new target of 1.5 degrees at the most, uh, 1.5 degrees Celsius warming was encouraging. Uh, you know, there was a lot of complaint, and I think rightfully so, that there aren't a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of accountability in this uh, in this agreement, and there aren't a lot of hard uh, strategies for getting to that number. But I do think it was a very strong start um, and I, you know, it was it was attacked by people like uh, Jim Hansen, uh, James Hansen, sorry, Dr. James Hansen, and a few others as not having any teeth. But I do think that that's their job is to keep pushing. Uh, but from what I saw in terms of the actual outcome, I was impressed that there was this consensus about the real uh, possibility of coming together as a planet to stop climate change, and a lot of. Uh, uh, goodwill and and honesty and recognition built at this accord and i think they're going to keep ratcheting it up as uh, as we go yeah you know there's um there's that old saying i i think it was victor hugo yeah uh the, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come remember that one yeah okay well what 195 nations in the world which is all of them said is that this idea the time has come so there's no turning it back now. Anybody who's going to continue to hang on to their hobby horse, their religion, really, that there's no that greenhouse gases don't matter and they're not human-caused, anybody who wants to hang on to that religious belief, because it's really not a scientific belief, um, is going to be left increase, increasingly finding themselves as irrelevant. You know, um, we haven't done the doomsday clock yet, but I, let me touch on that, and then I want to Yeah, let's go, go there, let's go there next. Because I want to come back to this, what I hope will happen in America as a result of this. So to finish up on the economic side, I really believe that we can push that doomsday clock from 11 minutes all the way back to 15 minutes before midnight. We've picked up four minutes because Paul Ryan has decided to act like a true um, Speaker of the House, moving legislation, compromising. I'm extremely pleased with that. Number two, the U.S. economy will continue to grow faster even in 2016 than 2015, which means it'll be over 3%. England has come out of the recession finally. It's growing even a little faster than the U.S. right now. I don't think that'll go back. I think that, uh, and we ought to, I want to talk about Germany and the uh, immigration issue a little bit later in the show because I think it's really important people realize what, what Angela Merkel is doing there with her unlimited, uh, she's allowing for unlimited migration, as you probably know, into Germany. Uh, and uh, that's an important thing to focus on, and I want to talk about Greece. But before I do, I just want to conclude that this doomsday clock, because Paul Ryan has taken the bull by the horns, and we finally have a Speaker of the House, and the House is no longer careening like a ship with no rudder, 
I believe that we will have a really good 2016. I think the stimulus will kick in. I think more cities and states will adopt the $15 minimum wage. I'm hopeful the federal government will push it at the federal level. Eventually it'll get through. And I believe it's going to be a really good 2016. So push that doomsday clock back. Uh, I also think, by the way, India is going to grow by at least 7% this year coming up. And I think China's due to grow by 6 maybe 5 to 6% at least. It's always tough with Chinese numbers. So you got China and India, U.S. and England all pulling ahead. you got Germany holding its own. I see the possibility for Italy to continue its recovery. I'm very troubled by Greece, but I don't think it will have any impact on the global economy. So let's go from 65 trillion to 350 trillion as fast as we can get there, and then we won't even have to have a doomsday clock. Excellent. So yeah, let's let's move Ronaldo to the to the uh, international perspective. If you want to talk about what you're seeing in uh, foreign markets. Well, the, the the big issue, of course, is Greece. Um, for both people, people probably gotten tired of. They sort of like turned Greece off because they thought that that act, that play was over, right? What they don't realize is that there's a very big date coming up. Um, there's a whole issue around how Greece is going to handle the ECB um, SMP bonds, bonds that are owed, and um, I don't see how Greece is going to make the payment. I just can't see it. So defaulting on the ECB. Uh, is kind of like financial Armageddon for Greece. And um, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, Europe is so stretched right now. Um, I think that the uh, the real issues about what's going to happen next um, are, are really up in the air. Uh, and here's why. Europe is torn, as you know, by the fact that the British government has promised a what's called Brexit, British exit vote, referendum by 2017. The migration pressure on Europe is enormous. It's really pulling at the very fabric of European society. You have the latent issues associated with the fact that the Muslim community in Europe never, ever assimilated as well as it did in the United States. So you have these hotbeds of possible terrorism lurking constantly in the shadows all over Europe, Brussels, Paris, etc. Um, it's a complete lie that Trump has put out that the, British, that the French police are unwilling to go to certain parts of Paris, and it's a completely ridiculous lie that there are places in London where the British police won't go. That's completely crazy. It's, there's no such thing that doesn't happen. But there is an inability to really probe those Muslim communities for where the bad guys, the radicalized ones are. And because of that, the, 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 the risk is much greater. That's why I was saying earlier in the show that we, embracing our Muslim brothers and sisters, it's our best protection against radical Muslims. Well, what I think is going to happen with the Greeks is that Germany has to decide how many battles it wants to fight at one time. It's got British exit. Does it want Grexit as well as British exit or Brexit? Does it? Is it going to force that to happen? Is it going to? Is it going to uh, be able to deal with that at the same time as dealing with terrorism? At the same time as dealing with this massive in-migration of, of refugees? So I think there's a really tough, tough call to make. I think Time Magazine was correct when they picked Angela Merkel, the German Prime Minister, 
for the cover of Time this year as the, as the Time Person of the Year because she really is the essential European on every level. Uh, uh, there was an article in The Economist to that effect not too long ago, and I think they got it right. So depending on how Merkel handles the continuing austerity, which I think is a mistake and I hope she'll back off, depending on how she handles the Greek indebtedness issue, and depending on how she handles the um, the, uh, the way that the Greeks would prefer to leave the IMF out of the next round, uh, the way she handles the continuing refugee issues, all are critical in determining what will happen in Europe. So Greece is just a small piece of that equation, but it's a piece worth watching in the next, say, three months. Last but not least, I think it's really critical, I mean absolutely critical, that we look at what's going on in Europe from the point of view of the immigration of refugees from the Middle East, apart from the moral dimensions of that crisis, which, as you recall, no one tried to stop immigration in 1936, 39, 40, 42, or even after World War II, because we knew it would be inhumane to do so. So apart from the humanity issue of it, Germany has a badly aging population. It's a huge problem. These new immigrants, if they assimilate, could be the answer to the graying of Germany, as well as the graying of Italy and the graying of, of France. Now, it puts phenomenal additional burdens on Greece that so many people are coming through there when the country's already broke, clearly. And it puts enormous strains on the potential ways to deal with Turkey because you really want Turkey to process people at the border, so to speak, before they get into Europe. But at the end of the day, if in fact... Germany continues to keep its borders open for unlimited immigration and encourages the rest of Europe to do the same and encourages the U.S. to do the same, then it would look to me like this could be the revitalization of, of Germany. I mean, it, it could literally be bringing fresh blood when it's desperately needed to countries in Europe that haven't had fresh, massive immigrations probably for a couple of hundred years at least or more, if ever. Yeah, it seems like a big opportunity, Ronaldo, and, I, and, and I'm glad that you, you think that that's where the future lies. You know, your comment about the immigration situation destabilizing Europe is very scary, given a European, Europe's history of, of conflict and, uh, you know, the, the progress they've made in avoiding war after World War II has been incredible, but the, the breakdown of their shared identity is, is uh, troubling at best. Um. I think we should segue here in all the two, and we've been doing some of this throughout the show, but I think we should talk about kind of the year year end kind of wrap up and reflections. Um, you know, personally, I think that 2015 is really the year that the world woke up on a lot of fronts. I think this is the year that, that you know, the, clim- the, the capping off the climate change um, deal, of course, is incredible. I think the Iran nuclear deal uh, to avoid uh, Massive conflict over Iran's nuclear program is a huge deal, it's and I think that, that Matt, Matt, yeah, Matt, go that's ahead. already working. That one, we've gone from two months that they could launch a nuke, they could build a nuclear weapon. It's now been pushed back to about five. It's on its way to ten months, and soon it'll be ten years. And they're already shipping material out of that country. That is an enormous success. The Iran agreement is huge. Just wanted to underscore. Keep going. Absolutely, yeah, and and it, and it signifies what I'm what I'm getting at here, which is that the world is shifting. Um, 
and it's not happening as quickly as some would like, and there's still a lot of fear, and, and we're seeing this pop up, this, resist, this wave of resistance to a more international and global uh, understanding. But it, 2015, to me, really signifies a turning point um, in, in, our, in our shared course, in our global understanding that we, we share one planet, and we actually have to work together if we're going to keep it from being, becoming uninhabitable. Um, any, you know, the the other thing is that we we've been uh, we we try, we try to be fair and even-handed when it comes to politics. But I, you know, I would like to say that I think that the president of the United States has done an amazing job this year, and I think that his leadership coming out of uh, you know that th- this coming into his last year is just has just been incredible. And I hope that he can continue to sprint to the finish as he say says he wants to. Yeah, I think, first of all, I, I agree with you, by the way. And, you know, I've criticized the president on many occasions on this program for things where I thought he didn't show enough proactivity and, and enough gumption uh, and wasn't willing to get in there and, 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 and fight things out. I think this, this year he's proven that he's capable of it. And I think he'll do even more of it in 2016, which I'm really happy about. And I agree with you. Uh, the The guy's legacy is going to look pretty good between Obamacare. Imagine 17 million people now have insurance that never did before. That's a big number, Matt. Now there's probably 23, 24 million still without it, but 17 million came in from the cold. That's huge. And if we give our government the authority to negotiate the price of pharmaceutical drugs, uh, if we give the government the right to start managing the uh, increasing health care costs we've sustained for the last 20, 30 years. I believe that the level of, of health care cost increases will continue to decrease and we'll finally get it under control. So Obamacare is a huge success. Iran, huge success. Uh, the leadership we showed to get 195 nations to sign in Paris, huge success. But I'll tell you, I think the, the biggest thing that's going to happen in 2016 as I look forward is I think the American people, and I really, Donald Trump is doing the American public a huge favor, a huge favor, because with his bombast, his narcissism, his ego, his you know entertainer's personality, what he's doing is he's staking out the most ludicrous, ridiculous positions possible. And he's saying, okay, this is what you say you want, because when I listen to my base, this is what they tell me they want. They want the Mexicans to go home. They want to ban the Muslims. They want to have a bigger military, less domestic spending, no taxes. He goes on and on with all these crazy things he talks about. I want to build a wall, whatever. And what's going to happen in 2016 is people in America are going to have a clear, clear choice. Do you want to embrace the future the way it's being articulated by uh, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and O'Malley, where we can look forward in the not-too-distant future that every American can go to a public school through college for free. Are we willing to look at an America where the, the rate of student debt can come from 10 9 8% down to like 2% or less? Certainly not more than 3%. Um, are we willing to look at an America which will really take Wall Street on finally, really take it on? Okay. I mean, all these choices are coming up in this next presidential election. And what Donald Trump is doing is he's keep he's unmasking what the true choice is. Yeah, it really is a favor he's doing the public. 
you know, someone like Cruz is much more wily and more secretive, and you don't really know what he's doing, and I think more dangerous, frankly, than Trump. But um, Trump, by articulating these outlandish positions, yes, he is hurting us because he's making the Muslim community globally think that we are anti-Muslim, and therefore it will increase jihadi. It will increase the number of people who want to do terrible things to us. But that's a small price to pay if the American people get this very clear picture, this very, very, very clear picture of choice A, Trump and what he stands for, and choice B, um, the Democratic alternative. And I'm very excited because I believe that the American public is going to choose the right way. And they're going to choose for greater freedom, for greater economic opportunity. They're going to choose for um, an increase in the, in the living wage for the middle class. They're going to choose savings over debt. They're going to choose regulation of the banks over you know, living for the banks. All those things are going to continue to right-size America and get us on a, a trajectory of extraordinary financial well-being. I mean, the economy is just going to take off like a rocket when we start to do this stuff. And it's also going to be the way we're going to turn the climate change issue around. So I'm very, very happy. And I want to I want to say one thing real quickly because I don't want to run out of time. Anybody listening who is not currently taking our free Optimus Daily service, you must send us your email right away. In fact, Matt, we should send out an email to everybody on our email list for the show to make sure they know how easy it is to do. But what this service is, folks, is every morning, Monday through Friday, at 3 o'clock in the morning Pacific time, meaning California time, we send out five sentences. Each one is about an article that we found that has some positive solution story attached to it. If you click on any one of them, and I'm sure any normal person will find two or three of the five that they're interested in, you click on it and you get a 70-word summary of that article. So you don't have to read the whole article. So you can read all five summaries in less than five minutes and have five things in your mind you never knew existed that are contributing to the positive outcome that Matt and I are talking about. My goal is to get 100 million people on the planet Earth reading positive solution information every single day. I want your help. It costs nothing. It's free. I want your help to get 100 million people thinking positive thoughts because of real solutions you didn't know were happening all around the world. Bike paths, for example, in Holland that are that are embedded now with photovoltaic cells so that the bike path becomes a source of energy for the villages along the bike path. I, I, the story I mentioned earlier in the program about San Diego, the way I heard about that story was the morning after it happened. It appeared in the Optimist Daily, and it said San Diego does an XXY, 70-word summary. I go, wow, this is fabulous. I click on it, and it takes me right to the New York Times article. So please send in your name and address, your email address to us. We'll set you up immediately for free on the service and help us get to the point where 100 million people start their day in five minutes or less thinking positive thoughts about positive solutions that are meaningful that will change their lives and ours for the better. Can't recommend it high enough. Absolutely. And, Ronaldo, with that, I just want to thank everyone for listening this year, and I want to thank you for uh, hosting this show. I just really appreciate uh, what's happening here. And if people ha want to continue to stay in touch with us or ask questions, they can email us at info at worldbusiness.org. Again, that's info, I-N-F-O, at worldbusiness.org. Uh, Ronaldo, any closing thoughts? 
just that it's been a tough year in many ways on a lot of different levels. But at the end of the day, a lot of good things have happened. And I believe that more good things are in store. Uh, I'm grateful for the fact this has probably been one of the most uh, successful years in the history of the Academy since 1986. I'm grateful for your uh, management of it on a day-to-day basis, Matt, as executive director. I'm grateful for the staff we have here and in the Bay Area. I'm grateful for the work we've done to pioneer microgrids, renewable green microgrids. I'm grateful for um, these shows and the chance to share once a month uh, what is, we think, important and worth paying attention to. Uh, and I'm grateful that a lot of people have done well listening to our advice on what to do with their money. I'm grateful for uh, what's happened in my life as I've continued to try and build uh, an organization in the World Business Academy that uh, moves us forward. I'm grateful for the year I've now served. It ends on December 31, uh, year and a half, two years actually, as president of the Chopra Foundation. I'm grateful for the work we're doing in Africa through our sister organization, uh, uh, Unstoppable Foundation, which has now 7,000 children in Africa in schools, where every school has a village well so the kids can get clean water, and every community has a plan for how it will become independent. I'm just grateful for all these different things that have happened and that I've been blessed to be able to participate in. And I come back to, now that I'm reading positive solution news every morning it's really changed my mental attitude about what we are capable of so you know if you want i I kind of paraphrased martin luther king earlier in the show um so the actual quote was the long moral arc of history beds towards justice uh by justice he meant a just world and that's what the greening of california is about that's what the 195 nations is about the long moral arc of history is bending towards justice. And thank you one and all for being part of helping that arc bend. It takes every one of us. Thank you, Ronaldo, and Happy New Year to all our listeners. Appreciate your input, and uh, we'll see you in 2016. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, listeners. Have a great Thanks, 2015. What's left of it? Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.